I read something uh, not long ago that just totally arrested me. I saw the headline, it, it pulled me in, and I couldn't uh, stop reading the piece. And the more I got into it, the deeper I got into it, the more fascinating I found it. Uh, and whenever that happens to me, I always want to make sure that uh, you are as exposed uh, as I am um, to the stuff that I get a chance to read in preparation for this show every day and the work that I do. And so this article really, really got my attention. So here's, 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 the, here's the story. Mammals' time on Earth is now half over. The time of mammals on the face of this Earth uh, is now half over, just like that. Scientists now believe that mammals are expected to go extinct in about 250 million years. And that might seem way off, and it is. But the reasons, the reasons they've reached that conclusion are beyond fascinating. And I'm delighted to have you uh, join us in this hour with science writer Carl Zimmer, who's going to break this all down for us over the next 60 minutes. Carl Zimmer, good to have you on. How are you today, sir? I'm well. Thanks for having me. It's my great honor to have you on. Thank you for the work and for the research and um, for this conversation, which I know others will find as fascinating uh, as I do. Um, I love having these science conversations from time to time. Uh, and so uh, let's just let's get started here. So g- give me give me the top line. Again, this headline just jumped out at me when I saw it. And I, I, I want to talk as we move through this hour uh, about some of your other work. Uh, I, I love the book uh, Life's Edge, The Search for What It Means to Be Alive. I could start our conversation there. Maybe I'll weave into that at some point. But 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 this headline, again, it, it jumped at me. So, so, so top line for me, uh, what you laid out in this piece. Well, there are some scientists who are looking ahead at the future of Earth and, and projecting out based on what we know about physics and geology and climate. Uh, and, you know, the planet is going to get kind of tough for life. Uh, and for mammals in particular, it's going to get really hot, actually too hot. Uh, they estimate in about 250 million years. Mm. And by too hot, you mean what? Well, mammals, you know, whether you're talking about mice or elephants or us, like it's just we all kind of have the same biology. You know, we're, we're warm-blooded. And then what that really means is that we control our body temperature um, and we have to keep it at a certain level to function. That's just how we work. Um, other animals work differently. And uh, that keeps us warm on a cold day and keeps us cool on a hot day. But if it gets too hot, uh, we just can't deal with it. Um, you know, it, the first sign that you're getting overheated is heat stroke. But eventually, like, heat and humidity will kill you. Uh, and once you get above a certain threshold, and it seems that's true just for mammals in general. So if you just get too hot and too humid, mammals just can't live. And it looks like about 250 million years from now, we're going to reach a point that we hadn't reached before in the history of mammals where it's just going to be unsurvivable. Mm. So what happens to these mammals? Their their bodies overheat and they essentially just die? Yeah, you you can't, you know, mammals will have lots of different ways of trying to stay cool and keep their body at body temperature. You know, we sweat, uh, you know, dogs pant. There are lots of different ways to stay cool, but they only work so well so far. Mm. You know, so if you go out into, you know, 130 degree heat with 100 percent humidity, you're just not going to be able to sweat your way out of that. And eventually your core temperature is just going to get hotter and hotter and hotter until your organs are damaged and then death will follow. I mean, it's just unfortunately, you know, we, we've seen a lot of people dying in these heat waves recently. Um, that's just us, you know, being mammals, not being able to handle 
a certain heat and humidity. Yeah. It's going to be a fascinating hour, as I promised you it would be. Um, uh, when we come forward, I, I want to uh, continue that line of questioning. There are a few other thoughts I have in my head I want to uh, probe Carl Zimmer about. And I want to talk specifically, given that we were just spending, we just spent an hour talking about all these uh, strikes across the country. We are experiencing, we are witnessing, we are in the midst of a summer and not a season of strikes. We're in the fall, and these workers are still striking all across the country in various industries. Have you ever thought about all the folk who work? outside we just talked to kaiser they work inside we just talked about the uaw workers they work inside but think of all the american workers all your fellow citizens including you perhaps listening right now wherever you are who work outside so if these animals can't handle that what happens to to us uh, as these temperatures continue to rise, and we just cannot afford to work outside in this heat. You heard Carl say a moment ago, we're already seeing uh, examples of, 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 of humans who are dying uh, because they can't work outside. We see these stories from time to time of athletes, young athletes, who just die on football fields during spring training because it's just their bodies overheat. Uh, and as these temperatures continue to rise, what does that mean for us? Say nothing of these animals. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Carl Zimmer is our guest. Can't wait to, to continue this dialogue when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. What? More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley in conversation with uh, brilliant science writer Carl Zimmer. Uh, just really getting started in this conversation uh, about a, uh, just a, a brilliant piece, an arresting piece, a provocative piece that Carl Zimmer wrote recently, uh, reporting that scientists now believe that mammals are headed toward extinction. Uh, the reasons behind it are fascinating, and we're just really starting to peel back the onion, as it were, on on all the reasons why. So, Carl, let me just let me just uh, allow me a, a, a point of personal privilege here. Um, when you do this every day, as I've done it for a few decades now, um, started when I was just two, um, <laughs> but when you've done this for a while, uh, as I have, you're always trying to find unique, interesting um, ways uh, to address subject matter that may seem otherwise boring. Let's be honest, talking about global warming, talking about climate change uh, is not the most fascinating stuff I could talk about as a talk show host uh, every day. And yet the conversation is necessary. It's not just necessary. It seems to me it's vital. And beyond being necessary and vital, there's evidence every day that we see that uh, underscore for us that that the planet is warming, that climate change and global warming are as real as rain. And so I'm always trying to find ways um, to have these conversations that will get people's attention uh, in this in this present moment, uh, trying to find new ways, as it were, uh, to sound the alarm for stuff that, again, a lot of people find boring. When I saw your piece and I read your work and I read a lot of your work, but when I saw that headline again, it just jumped out at me. Because if this doesn't grab your attention, I don't know what does. That 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 animals are headed toward extinction because their bodies just can't deal with the heat. The same is true, of course, for we for we human beings. Um, and we'll talk in a moment about what happens into the future when fellow citizens who work outside just start falling dead because they can't control their body temperature. Um, and there are a lot of folk um, who work outside. Um, in this country every day doing a variety of tasks. Um, so I, that, that's a long way of saying, that before we get back into the reasons why this is, 
the I, I want to put our fingers squarely on the culprit here. As I read your piece and read your work, the culprit here really is climate change. It really is global warming. If I'm wrong about that, please take a moment to disabuse me of that notion. No, no, you're, you're totally right. Uh, the thing is that, um, you know, global warming is, uh, it is a tricky thing to to talk about because we are experiencing human-made global warming right now, mm-hmm. uh, and it is an urgent uh, crisis that, that we do need to deal with to, to literally to save lives. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, Earth has a climate which which where global warming is just part of of how it works and 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 you know uh it's been that way since the earth formed um you know the fact that we have you know liquid water on the you know we have oceans and lakes and so on as opposed to ice well that's uh partly because of global warming in other words our atmosphere naturally uh has heat trapping gases like carbon dioxide and, Mm -hmm. and other gases so it's the our planet, even before we showed up, was warmer than it would have been without an atmosphere. So, you know, global warming is nothing new. But, you know, when you co- come into a system like that and you say, like, okay, all right, let's turn the knobs way over to the right, like, you're going uh, to get into trouble. And so, uh, it's, so it's important, you know, when people sometimes hear me talk about, you know, climate change that happened, you know, two million years ago. They're like, ha, see, no one was driving cars then. So <laughs> somehow it doesn't matter what's happening now. And I'm saying, no, this shows you that when you do this, when you turn these knobs naturally or artificially, something's going to happen and something is happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about how you view uh, this issue, these issues that we're discussing now uh, in the political realm. Um, you mentioned a moment ago that global warming is a part of what it means to live on planet Earth. Um, one could take that, indeed many Republicans, many conservatives do, uh, take that to say, so that's just part of the nature of living on this planet. Uh, but we're not going to lose our minds over climate change or intense global warming. We're not buying the argument that it's man-made. It is a part of what it means to live on a place called Earth. And so this has become the worst kind of political football. I don't mean to color the question too much for you. You write this stuff every day. But tell me how you see these issues, these vitally important issues, um, being, again, kicked around as political footballs. Right, I do. I do. I have heard that line many times, many mm-hmm. times. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And you're right. So that is definitely a kind of a, a rhetorical style. But it, what it leaves out is like, what kind of life are we talking about? Uh, are we talking about, you know, the life of say, um, you know, mouse-like creatures uh, 50 million years ago, or are we talking about human beings in modern societies? How do we want to live? Um, do do we want to be you know living just just at the bare edge with population crashes and starvation and famine and so on, or do we want to actually like you know enjoy life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know the fact is that you know um, from you know the agricultural revolution ten thousand years ago that was ten thousand years ago. So you can sort of think of like if you want to think of modern society as being when people started farming and there was there was food to support villages towns cities and so on like that's been 10,000 years and that has just been this tiny little climate window where the climate has not changed very much at all mm-hmm. and we are now pushing the climate 
far beyond anything that you know that has existed since the domestication of agriculture. You know, how are we going to keep feeding ourselves uh, if these crops that we domesticated in this particular climate suddenly face an incredibly harsh climate? Um, it's there are all these sorts of questions that. Uh, you have to ask. And if you just say, oh, well, you know, global warming is quote-unquote natural, then you don't stop to think about these incredibly urgent questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I read stories, um, and you've, again, written um, about all of these issues, when I read stories, for example, I see these headlines all the time, sadly, they just kind of scare me, Um, polar ice caps are melting. Uh, And... um, you see these stories. The first thing that comes to my mind is this: you, you, once it melts, you can't, you can't refreeze it. I mean, it's like it's, 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 it's melted. It's been that way for you know thousands of years, and now it's melted, and we just can't overnight sort of, sort of refreeze these 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 polar ice caps. Um, and, and so that, that's my way of asking whether or not, with all the talk about what we need to do, whether or not the combination of living on a planet where global warming is part of the process. And the fact that this damage may be irreparable means there's not much that ultimately can be done. You buy that argument? I'm, I'm, and I'm just I'm just pressing buttons here. No, I don't buy that argument. I, I, I and I, I, I have heard that too, and I think that that is that is just trying to avoid taking responsibility for the situation we're in. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, scientists have been. You know, scientists have not. This is not. This sh- none of this should be coming as a surprise. What mm-hmm. we're dealing with today. I mean, I. Uh, you know, to show my age. You know, I started working as a journalist at Discover Magazine, uh, like 1990, and right around then, uh, one of the journalists there, Andy Revkin, did the first cover magazine cover story about global warming. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it and it just laid it out. It just laid it out like. This is how global warming works. This is what we're doing right now. And if we don't steer off on another course, this is what we can expect. What can we expect? You know, droughts, wildfires, flooding, like all the things we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. So um, so for, you know, people at the time are like, oh, you're being hysterical. Oh, that's ridiculous. Oh, you science, the scientists are making this up because, you know, they want to make it up. Uh, and... Um, you know, to then turn around and say now and say like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do now because we didn't do anything the past 30 years. That's not responsible. Mm-hmm. There are things there are lots of things we can do now. Um, you know, we 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 are not going to be able to, you know, uh, get back to sort of a pre-industrial level of temperature anytime soon. A lot of it is, is locked in. But, you know, we can make it a lot worse mm-hmm. if we just do business as usual. You know, we are, you know, oil companies are still spending hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, you know, just hunting around for more sources of oil. That oil is going to put carbon into the air. Like we're, you know, we are we are still on this course. Uh, and, but, and there are ways to, to, to reduce those emissions. There are ways to, to actually deal responsibly with the global warming that we ourselves have created. Mm. Um 
I want to talk, I want to talk about um, uh, the oil. Now, I'm, I'm just making a note to myself. I'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to the oil piece in a moment here. Um, but what got my attention um, uh, about your piece, again, was the headline. I wanted to share this with the audience uh, and let them read or learn what I learned reading your piece. So let me just circle back uh, now to the article, uh, again, that you wrote. Uh, talking to all these scientists who now believe that mammals are expected to go extinct in about 250 million years because we aren't able to handle the heat. Take me back inside the article and just give me a bit more for those who haven't had a chance to read the actual piece. Sure, sure. So the important thing to um, to understand, to, to get how they could say something as wild as this, I mean, who, who, who can look in the future 250 million years? Well, mm-hmm. the thing is that there are, there are changes that are... are happening today that have been happening since the birth of the solar system. So the sun, for example, was much fainter when the solar system formed. Mm. And it's been getting steadily brighter as it works through more of its hydrogen. Basically, it's burning and becoming brighter, essentially. And uh, that's, it's about 1% brighter about every 100 million years. We just know that. Mm-hmm. So we know going forward, it's going to be brighter. And a brighter sun means a, a warmer climate, um, all things being equal. But like we were saying before, greenhouse gases. <clears throat> the, the planet produces greenhouse gases that come out of volcanoes. They come out of the soil. There are lots of ways that carbon dioxide and other gases get into the air. And if you have more of them in the air, they're going to trap more heat. If you have less of them, they're going to keep it cooler. Uh, And uh, on top of that, and this is actually a kind of a surprising thing, what matters also is how the continents are moving around. Mm. You know, so, you know, you in California, you're dealing with continental drift in a really, you know, serious way because you're always worried about earthquakes. Like that, that's continental drift. So, you know, about... 200 million years ago, or there was a, all the continents were bunched together in a supercontinent they called Pangaea. And it broke apart and slowly it moved, the continents moved to the present positions. And they're going to keep moving. And actually, geologists expect that about 250 million years from now, they're all going to bump back into each other and become another supercontinent. Mm. And it turns out that a supercontinent can actually have lots of effects on the climate. So you're going to have you're going to have a brighter sun. You're going to have a supercontinent. You're going to have these other factors. And if you run the numbers, you look. You're looking at a planet that's where the land is incredible. The climate on the land is incredibly hot and humid. And you know it won't mean that all life disappears. You know reptiles, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But mammals, ugh, they're going to have a hard time of it. Yeah. So given that we know, again, I'm circling back to the hour I just had um, before you came on, uh, we were talking with these Kaiser workers who were on strike. And one of the persons in that conversation, Georgette uh, Bradford, said to me that they've been talking to Kaiser for years uh, because they knew the data told them years ago that they were approaching an era where there'd be a shortage of workers. Uh, we now know on this side of the pandemic, we have a shortage of nurses, we have a shortage of doctors, a shortage of folk in the healthcare industry. And so they are out on the picket line right now because Kaiser, according to them, haven't, ha- haven't taken these concerns, uh, haven't taken them seriously. And now there's a worker shortage and people are being overworked and underpaid and they're stressed, et cetera, et cetera. That's at the epicenter of why they are out on strike. And so we now know, based on what you just laid out, that these continents are going to merge back together again. The sun is getting hotter. 
It's going to be so hot outside that mammals can't survive. Since we know that's coming and we already see the evidence of workers every day, everyday people, as Sly Stone might say, who are literally starting to fall out dead because they're working outside even right now. And we haven't seen the worst yet. What ought we be thinking about? Uh, uh, Carl Zimmer, what should we be thinking about right now with regard to folk in this country who work outside? So to to be think about you know the well being of, of people uh, in heat, you know we do, we don't need to look ahead to 250 million years. 250 million years from now, like I mean that's you know we don't know what things will be like for us. You know, like maybe we'll be on another planet or who knows. Mm. I mean we we just don't know. But it does it is a powerful lesson on how you know fragile life on earth can be you know if you if you turn the dials you can actually make a very comfortable place a very uncomfortable place and so you know in our own time scale on the time scale of years and decades and centuries um we are uh we are pumping out carbon dioxide at at incredible rates and so we are we are creating global warming at at an and an incredible pace. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you look, again, if you look across the history of the planet, you do see times where carbon dioxide in the atmosphere did surge up. Mm-hmm. There certainly have been surges of carbon dioxide in the past. But, you know, the fact is that the very biggest ones of those were, you know, volcanoes uh, that were e- erupting for... 10,000, 20,000 years just, just, just erupting like crazy for, for millennia, for yeah. many, many thousands of years. Um, and we, with our cars and our factories and, and, you know, our air conditioning, like we are actually putting in carbon dioxide, as, about as much carbon dioxide and at a faster rate. Let me, let me cut it. Let me cut in right there. We'll, we'll, we'll continue on, on that note. Uh, on how we are doing this at a faster rate, as you said, turning the knobs all the way up, uh, and what impact that has on workers outside, and more specifically uh, and more expressly, what we ought to be doing right now as we think about what's happening in real time to workers outside. You ain't got to jump to in 50 million years in the future. So I want to get um, uh, the rest of Carl Zimmer's response to that question and a great deal more when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Helping to make you you? the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. In case you've just tuned in, we are continuing a fascinating conversation with our guest, um, uh, science writer, brilliant author Carl Zimmer, uh, writes uh, a column called Origins. He's the author of 14 books, including Life's Edge, The Search for What It Means to Be Alive. I want to get get into some of that as we move through the rest of this hour. But I specifically invited um, Carl Zimmer on today uh, to talk about a provocative piece he wrote uh, for the New York Times, um, where he uh, did a lot of research, uh, talked to a lot of scientists, uh, and discovered uh, what they know, that uh, they believe that mammals are headed toward extinction uh, about 250 million years from now. But the reasons behind why that's happening um, are fascinating, beyond fascinating. Uh, and uh, we've been talking in this hour about the fact it's just a matter of time uh, as the planet continues to heat up, as the sun gets hotter, as the continents start to realign and bounce back into each other again, uh, that it's going to be so hot on planet Earth uh, that uh, that we just pass out. We die. 
Um, and um, it's uh, something that uh, gets your attention. It got my attention. Uh, it's arresting, to say the least. And while these conversations about climate change and global warming may be boring and dry, as I said earlier, I'm always trying to find ways to, um, to focus our attention on what really matters in this particular American moment uh, and a story that jumps out at you that you're going to die sometime soon, if not from one thing uh, or another thing, because it's just too hot. And particularly those who work outside uh, who can't who can't bear it. Animals start dying and humans start dying because it's just so hot outside that we can no longer handle it. I was in New York uh, just what last week or so, uh, and uh, my flight home got got delayed. Uh, in part because it was raining so hard in New York, they shut the airports down. I couldn't get out. Um, just the city was just flooded. I mean, cars and the streets and um, New York just isn't designed for that. Uh, and so the airports were shut down. Um, we had to change uh, flights to get back home. But it's just a hot mess, um, a rainy mess, as it were, in New York City. So these things are, are real uh, and we need to spend some time, it seems to me, every night again, taking these issues Seriously. So I'd ask you um, moments ago, uh, Carl, you were working toward your detailed answer about what we do now that the data, these scientists make it clear what's coming. To your point, we ain't got to jump 250 million years in the future to see that workers in this country right now, uh, athletes uh, outside at practice right now are dying because they're overheating. Older persons who uh, live in certain um, geographies, uh, live in certain spaces, are dying right now because bodies are, are overheating and that's going to become the new normal uh, down the road. So my question was, what ought we do about that? And you were about to say. Well, <laughs> you know, I, it's all a question of scale, of time scale. So like right away, you know, there, there need to be um, cooling centers. Uh, for example, in in communities where people, you know, may not be able to afford to run their air conditioning very much, you know, like if you're if you're just trying to save money to to, to pay the rent and you can't pay air, for air conditioning, which is a problem a lot of people in hot places have, um, you can put yourself at risk uh, of heat stroke. And so, you know, there need to be like basic things like like cooling centers, for example. There need there needs to be. You know, construction needs to take into account that we're living in this hotter climate. And and I think, you know, people need to just acknowledge that, you know, the climate that they are, you know, sending their kids to, to practice, uh, you know, sports in is not really the climate that they grew up with. Mm-hmm. You know, everything has shifted. And so, you know, don't don't just sort of uh, don't. Don't just, you know, take this this climate lightly because it can be a matter of life and death on a longer, you know, looking forward. I mean, you know, in the, it really in the next few decades, um, this problem is going to, you know, can can potentially get much more serious. You know, like we're talking about like, oh, you know, a few days where, you know, it's really hot in Phoenix, say, mm-hmm. a few days out of the year, you know, a few weeks. Um, but what happens when some parts of the planet become uninhabitable for people um that that is not out of the realm of possibility i'm not saying that all of the planet's going to be uninhabitable for people mm-hmm. but like there are countries right now where many many millions of people live where they're going to it there's a it's a question about whether they will be able to just survive there so we 
So we have to be taking really urgent steps to deal with this climate crisis, to deal with our own carbon emissions. Yeah. We're always having these conversations about, you know, in places where there are war or famine or other uh, issues, a uh, person is having to be on the move to other countries. And that always creates a conversation about whether or not they're going to let certain people in or not let certain people in. But there's always this sort of migrant movement. Uh, what I hear you saying is that in the years to come, it won't be about migrant movement. It'll be people moving away from spaces where they can't uh, survive. Um, to your point, uh, we're talking about, you know, a few days in Phoenix or this year, a few weeks in Phoenix where the temperature didn't seem to break 120. But imagine if that happens perennially, if every day for weeks and months on end, the temperature doesn't break in Phoenix, you're going to leave Phoenix at some point. Uh, at some point, you're going to leave there. And then Phoenix ends up being a wasteland and you've got tumbleweed rolling down the street because nobody wants to live in Phoenix anymore, or can survive in Phoenix anymore. And that I take your point, and that's not uh, that's not uh, that's not uh, strange or bizarre thinking to see that happening somewhere down the road. Let me let me let me pivot now to this issue that you raised earlier about oil. Every presidential election season, and God help us, we are in the midst of one right now. We get all these debates about America's dependence on oil. We've got to break America's dependence on oil. We hear that every four years uh, from somebody uh, on the campaign trail. You, you you raised this issue earlier, and I'm I'm wondering if you can unpack a bit more why that um, it has to be more than just a slogan. I say all the time that slogans aren't solutions, but we hear that slogan all the time. America must end its dependence on oil. Unpack that for me, Carl Zimmer. Well, it's well, the world needs to, let me put it that way, um, because, I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, we are looking, you know, if, if we just keep on putting more and more carbon dioxide into the air at the rate we're doing, actually, we're, you know, our carbon emissions are, are increasing uh, worldwide. And if we just keep on that path, um, you know, within a few decades, we're going to be, you know, crossing some thresholds that, you know, experts say, we really don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. We're going to be looking at all sorts of, of you know, planet-wide civilization-threatening problems, um, whether it's drought or sea level rise and so on. And so the thing is that the the you know when you when you say like okay how can we like not get to that scenario? Well, you know, at some point we have to stop putting carbon dioxide in the air. We just have to get to zero. We just have to. Yeah. And so, you know, if we had started, you know, down this track in the, in the 80s or 90s, you know, just, you know, developing technologies and, you know, thinking about how the infrastructure was going to change, we would have had more time and more options. Yeah. Uh, but we've procrastinated. Mm. As, a, as a species, we have procrastinated. We don't have that. We have much less time now. And so, you know, so going off and drilling for more oil is, is, is exactly the wrong thing to be do doing, in this yeah. situation because there's no, you know, ca- oil is carbon, you yep. know, and you burn it and you put some carbon dioxide <laughs> in the air. That's simple. Nope, I take your point. It, it ain't that complicated, even though the politics of it uh, always seem to get in the way. When we come forward, um, uh, Carl has uh, not just written this provocative piece in the New York Times about the fact that mammals are headed toward extinction. He's the author of a column called Origins and the author of 14 texts, including Life's Edge, the search for what it means to be alive. I want to get into some of that in our remaining moments with uh, Carl Zimmer on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, 
This is Tavis Smiley. I feel like May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Carl Zimmer. Um, Carl, I want to just uh, look at. I'm looking at the clock here. I want to I spend a little time talking about um, one of these 14 texts you've written, uh, "Life's Edge: The Search for What It Means to Be Alive." Uh, just give, give me, give me, give me some of what that's about. <laughs> well, you know, um, when I'm not writing about uh, how you know life might come to an end on Earth, um, <laughs> I, I am just fascinated by life in general. Just, just life uh, is endlessly fascinating to me in all its forms that we see around us. Uh, and so, I get to talk to lots of scientists, you know, who study you know whales and redwoods and bacteria and just all the incredible diversity of life on Earth. And every now and then, I'll just when I'm feeling a little mischievous, I'll say, like, so what is life anyway? Mm. And they kind of squirm and kind of try not to answer the question because they can't. Because, because life, we, scientists do not agree on a definition of life. There are hundreds of definitions that have been put forward, and they're not getting any closer to really coming to any sort of agreement. And so, you know, there, it's, it's a fascinating struggle that scientists have been going through for centuries to try to, like, understand life as a phenomenon um and you know they're they're getting there i mm-hmm. i think that i think there will be you know life will be a bit less mysterious maybe you know, but maybe not in our lifetime so so in the book i write about all sorts of you know uh strange forms of life you know from bats to fly moles and all sorts of things but also you know at, talking to philosophers about well what is it what do, what do we mean when when we even use that word life and what are we trying to do by defining it uh, and this matters to, you know, NASA, you know, like NASA wants to go find life, but what are they looking for? You know, mm-hmm. should they just look for DNA? Well, is life defined by DNA or could there be some entirely different kind of molecule that allowed aliens to have heredity? I mean, we don't know. I mean, and but scientists are actually trying to build some of those alternate life forms in the lab to mm-hmm. find out right now. Yep, I'm curious. I'll ask this of Carl when we come forward in our remaining moments with him. I'm curious as to why it is so necessary, so important to have a definition of life. Um, certainly, as it relates to human beings, um, life in many respects is what each of us determine it to be. Uh, I don't mean to be too philosophical here, but why is it so important for scientists to put a definition on life? We'll close with that when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, love, this is Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. So why is it so important uh, to put a definition on that on that term, that word life, Carl Zimmer? Well, you know, I think it's uh, one of the biggest mysteries of science. You know, it's, it's just... It's just it's a fascinating question uh, in and of itself. But you know, on a on a very personal level, like think about your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, think about those questions. When did it begin? When does it end? You know, um, we define life and death legally. You know, uh, having to do with our brains, basically. Uh, brain death is death for us. You know, why do we say that? Um, and so. There are all sorts of ways in which this is a, a profound question and a very cool question, too. And it's and it's kind of remarkable that, you know, we're at a time where scientists haven't yet worked that out. And and so, you know, there was a time when scientists didn't know what water was, you know, like mm-hmm. they just would talk about, well, water is this stuff that's clear and wet, you know, like, well, 
that's not good enough. You know, now I know it's hydrogen and oxygen. And, there, you know, there was a before and after, and we're in the before times when it comes to life. Yeah. Um, how concerned are you uh, on a scale of 1 to 10 about our future as human beings? Uh, I'm I'm very concerned. I mean, I think everybody should be, you know, uh, you know, take take our future seriously. And if you look at what's happening, we're, you know, we're we're already, you know, 2023. You know, this past month was, you know, climate wise, it's literally off the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in an emergency, um, but you know, we're human beings. We we actually are pretty smart. We can do stuff, and this is not beyond our ability. Um, this is not like a mystery of like what is life. You know, we can actually reduce our carbon emissions. We know enough. We know that we are causing global warming. That's pretty awesome. And so, and we can figure out how to stop it. And we really need to get serious about it. Yep. And finally, for those who want to follow your work beyond this conversation, uh, tell me about your origins column. Yeah, um, I it's in the New York Times, and I look at you know basically kind of how. Everything around us, you know, life as we know it has gotten to be the way it is, whether it's ourselves or birds or what have you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, you can find that at the New York Times website. Um, and my books, like you mentioned, Life's Edge, they're on my own website, carlzimmer.com. carlzimmer.com. And finally, finally, given the work that you do, uh, talking to these scientists about, you know, uh, the search for what it means to be alive and, the fact that uh, mammals are headed toward extinction, all the stuff that you encounter every day talking to these really, really smart people. Uh, When you hear this stuff and you have to process it and write about it, I'm just curious as to how one Carl Zimmer sustains his hope. Um, (laughs) You know, I I guess, you know, we've made it this far, you know, Uh, and, and, uh, you know, history is, is full of challenges and suffering but also, you know, rising to those challenges. Um, and, and I just have to stay hopeful. I think we all do. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think hopelessness is, a, is an option. Yeah. Nope, that's a, that's a powerful note on which to end. Uh, you lose hope, you've lost everything. So uh, I thank you for that. Carl Zimmer, um, again, provocative piece um, called uh, Mammals' Time on Earth is Half Over. Scientists predict, you can find that in the New York Times, Mammals' Time on Earth is Half Over. Scientists predict, that's the Times piece that uh, got me wanting to talk to Carl Zimmer. Um, His column uh, in the Times is called Origins, writes about all kind of fascinating stuff. You can find Origins, again, at the New York Times uh, and at CarlZimmer.com. All of his books, uh, 14 and counting, including the one we discussed a bit uh, in this latter part of the conversation, Life's Edge, The Search for What It Means to Be Alive. Carl Zimmer, good to have you on this program. Thanks for your insights. Thanks for your work. It's beyond uh, interesting and fascinating, and I enjoyed the opportunity to unpack some of it with you. Thank you, and all the best to you, sir. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Good to have you on.